Welcome to another episode of Cosmic Echo, a T-Leader podcast. This podcast explores a strange and bizarre phenomenon that happens in our lives when we sleep in altered states. In this episode, we speak with Christian Dockstarter, who runs the True North Project, where he discusses his views on ayahuasca, as well as other plant medicines and his travels around the world. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about Christiana's work, you can visit our website at tailleaders.com backslash CE podcast. Additionally, you can take part in the discussion of this podcast through our community page located at the same website. Well, without further ado, let's get to the interview. If you want to just uh, give a little bit of a background of who you are and, um, you know, like, I know you want to talk about your experiences and where you came from and everything. So uh, why don't we just start with like a basic understanding of who you are and how you got interested in this uh, experience um, with ayahuasca and psychedelics and um, sure. and your website and things like that. So just take it away, man. Cool. So just to, I guess I got to jump back a little bit. Um, I'm actually from a, so I'm from a little town uh, in Arizona, a little polygamous town. Hmm. Um, my my parents are actually polygamous, and I grew up in a family with 23 siblings so I'm I'm one of one of 24 kids and uh this uh fundamentalist Mormon uh community so basically I was just raised in a really uh kind of kind of um strict fundamentalist patriarchal society with a lot of you know those stereotypical uh values that a lot of people you know if you've been raised Christian are familiar with so there's a lot of that kind of programming that I was raised with and then um, I, I moved from there when I was about 20 to Salt Lake City and did did some work for a mortgage company. Uh, that company moved to Vegas, which led me to Vegas. And that's kind of where uh, I've been here for the last maybe four and a half, five years. And, and it wasn't until recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, that I started to see some real significant changes. And I started to experience some things that made me kind of question how I was living my life and um, make some big changes. So uh, that's where I kind of pick it up. But so, yeah, for me, um, I, I like I really like, you know, your pieces about the hero's journey and writing about Joseph Campbell. Um, something that really resonates with me just without what I've gone through. And ever since I read his, you know, Hero with a Thousand Faces or at the beginning of the year, it's really kind of been a theme in my life. But uh, my my journey, I guess, well, it's it's funny because it's like you have you have the, the the stages, right? And he talks about the call to adventure, and he also talks about refusing the call. So, I had my call to adventure about let's see, just almost two years ago. It was about January of 2016, I think. And and I had this experience. Are you are you familiar with the philosopher uh, Alan Watts? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I love I love Alan Watts. Um, in this whole, so, so the reason I love Alan Watts so much, to give you a little idea, is because um, my with my background and where I came from, and then and then I left. I left when I was twenty. So I, you know, I left basically my my whole model of the universe, my my philosophy on on the universe and existence and why I'm here and all that kind of fell through the floor, uh, and I didn't really have a lot to stand on because my whole you know, image of God and Jesus and Joseph Smith and all that just kind of fell apart when I when I looked into it um, as an adult. So, so for me, Watts was kind of something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. He was he was like, it, it just made sense. Like listening to him speak just made sense. 
and it, and it helped me make sense of where I was at. It helped me get through a lot of d- a couple dark years. So uh, I'm, I'm listening. Well, so to, to to preface this a little bit, I uh, had a roommate who at, at the time this is like, like I said about two years ago. I had no real experience with cannabis at all. I'd smoked a few times, but nothing nothing major at all. Uh, I was a lightweight, and uh, he he brings this bong over and uh, to my house. So I end up hitting this this vapor you know water bong or whatever it is and um take way more cannabis than i've ever taken before <laughs> yeah and i'm by myself right so i'm just like chilling listening to a podcast or something um and all of a sudden i start getting super super paranoid and this just tons of fear and paranoia and uh i feel like i'm just like dying you know so i go up to my bed and i turn on some watts to make me kind of feel better and chill me out and it was funny because it was like it was it was random, but the combination of what I was experiencing with the cannabis and then listening to what Watts was telling me gave me such an incredible experience. So he was uh, he was going into the nature of consciousness and talking about the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality. And, he, you know, as you, you probably know, he's he's famous for having kind of brought Eastern philosophy to the West and uh, speaking about it in a way, you know, with his mastery of English, in a way that a lot of Westerners can understand and conceptualize, because you know, a lot of these Eastern traditions, they don't, we don't have words in English to even describe what they're talking about a lot of the time. So for him to be the bridge for that, you know, and communicate it well, is I think really cool. And there's a lot of, there's a few guys like that, but Watts is definitely one of them. And um, so in his discussion of the nature of consciousness and talking about these Eastern concepts like like yin and yang and polarity and this idea that that the self is really an illusion um, in the sense that you aren't just one half of the coin. So if, if you've got yin and yang and they're opposite sides of the coin, you've got light and dark, you know, black and white, self, other, figure, background, you know, and the list goes on forever because everything in the universe has polarity. And and so when you think of life that way and, and you realize that, you know, you are the lens for which you're viewing the cosmos, for which you're viewing reality, but that's but you have to, of course, there has to be an observer for there to be a cosmos. There has to be someone to see the cosmos. There has to be someone to see the sunlight for there to be sunlight, right? And that's the, that's the you know, kind of what he's explaining, but obviously does it in a, in a much better way than I could ever do. And just because of the state I was in, something just switched. It clicked. And I literally felt my sense of self completely obliterate, just dissolve completely. Um, this is the first time in my life that it ever happened. And I just melted into oneness. And, and it was so funny because, like, I went from terror and fear and anxiety, thinking that I was dying, thinking that, you know, I I, what did I do? I smoked a drug and it's killing me or something crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know? And uh, all of a sudden I'm in bliss and I'm in total oneness with everything. Uh, and, and that's hard to explain to someone who's never experienced it, but like to the point where you don't, you still have awareness, you're still aware of the situation, but not from the lens of an, of an ego, not from the lens of a self. You're doing it through the lens of, uh, it's just almost lensless. It's just, it's just this kind of scope of everything. And um, I realized in that moment that this is the life is the greatest game. Like, and I just started laughing. I, I couldn't stop laughing. It was, it was a 
hilarious to me at the time because I'm like, why was I so worried? You know, and I'm, I just laughed. But um, and this this is a common experience. Um, you know, they talk about it a lot in Buddhism. This this state of kind of feeling nirvana or satori or whatever they have different words for, and this laughing is associated with that because it's just you realize it's kind of a funny joke. But um, but anyway, so I I have this experience. I realize that life is just the best game ever and you can really do whatever the fuck you want with your life. Like you can just go and do whatever you want and play the game however you want. But I refused the call. Mm-hmm. So I, I that was my call to adventure. I refused the call and I didn't really make any significant changes in my life, even though I knew I should. I was in a I was in a job that was just paying me really well, but I, I hated it. Um so it was you know, I made I made good money, but it was just hard for me to walk away from the money, even though I really did not enjoy what I was doing. I wasn't bringing any value. I was just like a mortgage loan officer. I didn't feel like I was really helping anyone and bringing any value into the world. And so going to work was just kind of a grind, you know, because mm-hmm. you're kind of lying to yourself about what you're doing and just for a paycheck and, and it sucks. <laughs> so I kept, I kept doing that for a while. Um, yes. And, and I refused the call. And then about, maybe six, seven months later. Well, actually, no, one more thing happened. I, this experience with Watts did do something, and, and what it did is it, it opened up my mind to the idea of, of new possibilities and trying new things a little bit. And so um, my, one of my buddies, he's like, he, he uh, told me he was going to go up to Chico and California and meet up with this guy and try mushrooms. And I'd been looking into mushrooms for a long time, done a lot of research into it, but I was kind of, waiting for the right moment. I was also kind of intimidated and scared. I'd never done psychedelics. So we go up and do them and we were planning on doing like a three gram dose, which is a pretty, pretty sizable amount. Um, I mean, it's not a hero's journey or hero's dose that Terrence McKenna would say five dry grams, but it's, it's supposed to be pretty potent. And, but what we did is we kind of, we did it in tea and I don't think we did it correctly because we all got a really mild effect. Mm And it was, that ended up being perfect for me because it was like I didn't have this like crazy intimidating experience. I just had a really beautiful experience. We were in the woods by a river. Everything was just so beautiful, and I was just so blown away by nature. And it was just kind of a good time and, and made me feel good. Um, but that kind of cracked the door open to this idea that drugs might not be this or psychedelic drugs you know they might not be this big bad thing that i've been led to believe my whole life and there might be more to the story and so i kind of went down a rabbit hole of researching it more and more and more um i have a friend who wanted me to go to uh, edc the last couple of years leading up to this which is a it's a rave it's a big festival okay. here in vegas and um I I turned it down a couple times because I'm like not my scene. Yeah. I, I don't like, you know, doing drugs and just dancing all night, which is kind of my perception of what it was. So uh, now that I'd had this experience, these couple of experiences, he invites me again this, this year, and I'm like, okay, I'll go. Fuck it, let's see what happens. So uh, obviously, my intention is to do MDMA because that's like that's like the place to do MDMA, right? That's where everyone's doing it. So I'm like, okay, this is where I'll try MDMA. Make sure I make sure he gets the you know tested right. clean substance. Make sure it's all safe because that's very important. And and b- before I go like down this whole conversation, <laughs> uh, it's important for people to know like I'm not promoting that anyone just go out and do right. psychedelics. You've got to do a lot of 
I would I would advise a do a ton of research yourself so you know exactly what you're getting into, but b approach it with intention um, and know why you're doing it and and know what you want to get from it or at least have an idea of what direction you want to go with it because so many people I've seen so many people who just they're they're doing it recreationally and then and eventually that leads to abuse and it just gives the whole the whole thing a bad name in my opinion definitely so. So yeah, I end up doing MDMA. Uh, long story short, it's probably the best night of my life. Wow. <laughs> like in the sense that I, I felt just my heart open up to, to everything, to everyone. It was pure compassion and empathy for not just my friends who were there, which, which I couldn't stop hugging and telling them I loved, but I was I couldn't stop hugging strangers and telling strangers I love them and I meant it too. That, that's the weird thing is everyone everyone like laughs like oh yeah you you did ecstasy of course you're just this little roly poly lovey guy whatever it's just a drug, but until you experience the feeling of that, like if you think about it we don't you know what how would you define ecstasy? And my definition of ecstasy completely changed the word of the de- definition of the word ecstasy completely changed when I experienced MDMA mm. because then I was like, Oh, this is the feeling of ecstasy. I've never felt this before in my life. I've never really known what ecstasy meant. I thought I had an idea like overwhelming joy, euphoria, goodness, whatever. But then you experience that and it's a totally different ballgame. Um, and, and having that like unadulterated love for just the humans and, and every, every sentient thing on earth was powerful and it, but the biggest thing it did for me i think was it it gave me some self-love that i sorely needed i realized that i hadn't been taking care of myself i hadn't been i mean i was in a job i didn't like i was in a body that i didn't like you know what i mean and and, and i wasn't really loving myself how i should so that's where the the real catalyst for change mm. began right there so that's about a year and a few months ago and um yeah, so from there, I, I immediately, like right after that, started this, me and my buddy, like, started this diet. We've gotten this really good fitness routine right away. I ended up losing, like, uh, probably like 30, 35 pounds um, in the next couple of months, put on a bunch of muscle, just basically got a lot healthier. And then um, at the same time, started exploring and all these other things that I was interested in. But I was still in the job I didn't like. I was still you know, it was one step at a time and health was kind of my first, my first step. Um, so a few, like maybe three or four months later, um, I, my, my friends wanted to do another festival and this one's in, this one's in Washington state in, mm. at the gorge, which is this beautiful outdoor, uh, venue where you can camp for a couple nights. And it's a totally different scene. It's like, this is where, this is more of like the LSD scene, not the, not mm. the MDMA scene. And LSD is another thing I wanted to to try right so um i just we decided to make the trip up there and i'm gonna do lsd and that's the first time i ever did that and uh and i don't want to like over glorify <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know drug use but i had literally like an epiphany i was just in a crowd by my friends listening to to this dj and the lyrics or the the words uh, that came across were, were like um Essentially, it was saying whatever transition you want to make in your life, make the change, right? And if you know you've done psychedelics, so you're kind of, you can kind of speak to this too. But it's that idea that 
sometimes the the breakthrough is so stupid like it's so simple it's like obvious you know what i mean but you you it clicks in a way that never clicked before where it's just like oh it's so obvious i'm gonna do it now you know what i mean and um it was like yeah why am i i I fucking hate this job why am i in it like i have enough money saved i can i can do something else and i can figure it out and when i got back from from that trip i quit and um at the time i didn't know what the hell i wanted to do so i got into like uh i did a little stint with with bartending went and took a bartending course had a job at a bar for maybe six months but that that didn't last long because of of the next experience i had and and this is all kind of like in my opinion what happens when you accept the call for the hero's journey things start to change like unexpected things new people will come into your life new experiences will present themselves new opportunities and the stuff that there's no sense in trying to predict it because you're never going to be able to see what it is that's going to make the big impact the important thing is when you when you answer the call like you put yourself on the path and, and you're in the position to for those experiences to arise and you know what i mean yeah yeah so i have this you know i'm working i just got hired at this bar and then I, I'm listening to a podcast uh, from Joe Rogan, and he's talking about sensory deprivation float tanks. Yeah. Which have, have you ever have you ever yeah. floated before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So I I've done it a couple times, maybe four or five times, uh, but I kind of stopped because I was like, it's kind of expensive. I mean, it feels good, but I don't really need it that much. And then I I heard his podcast, and he's like, you have to try it with edibles because it's a totally different experience. Mm. And and I was like, okay, uh, uh, Joe's hasn't led me astray before, so I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll try it out. And I went and, and took some edibles and got in a float tank. And that was when I would consider like I prior to that experience, I was not a spiritual person at all. After that experience, I would consider myself a much more spiritual person. Mm-hmm. So I had this I had this sort of uh, of awakening type event, which. I hate even saying that because it sounds so goddamn woo-woo and weird yeah. and you know what I mean? And, I, and I, I like having, you know, some logic and some science to back up everything that I that I believe and think and say. But uh, at the time, I had no, no, no way of explaining this situation. So what happened was I'm laying in the tank and after maybe halfway through the float, um, I start feeling this energy, this tingling in my spine, the back of my skull, base of my skull. And um, this energy travels down my spine. And as it's traveling down, it's like pushing my body into like this perfect, like I, I just knew that my body was not in the right position. Like it was, I had had bad posture my whole life. Um, I fell out of a tree when I was Making a kid. Making me set up right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, I fell out of a tree as a kid and landed on my neck and my, my, my shoulder, my posture's just been off ever since. And, you know, multiple injuries throughout my life. And so as this energy traveled on my, my body, it just like pushed everything kind of where it needed to go. And it felt, A, it felt like intense, but it felt incredible. It was like the best massage I've ever had. And, um, but then it got down to the base of my spine and I felt my hip. So, so this is where we go into the, the conversation about the surgery. I, when I was a teenager, I uh, got diagnosed with the, with the genetic hip disease. So, um, it's a couple of my cousins have it. So it's, it's a genetic thing, but, uh, essentially you have like a ball and socket joint in your hip and 
this disease is called skiffy is when your the ball keeps sliding out of the socket. Mm, okay. Um, and so I was dealing with that, but you know, some pain when I was a teenager, and it kept giving me trouble. But then one day when I was snowboarding, it completely came out, and um, I had to go to the hospital. And they decided to surgeon decided to put a screw in it hmm. to hold it in. So it's a screw about like you know a few inches, and so I've been living with that for the last twelve. 13 years or something and when i'm in the tank experiencing this i feel this energy trying to push my hips to where they need to be but it can't move my left hip my mm. hips stuck because it's pinned and but then but then as the the energy travels back up um i'm just feeling like these energy centers open in my body it's just this crazy crazy ass experience that's really hard to explain in in words but Needless to say, I'm I'm totally mind fucked when I get out. I Google I Google like what's going on, this energy, like all this stuff, and I find I find yoga and I find chakras and this conversation about the whole energetic system of the body that apparently has been common knowledge in the East for thousands of years yeah. <laughs> and we've just been totally oblivious to it. And so that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, how come no one's talking about this shit? And then I realized when people do talk about it, it's like you're a hippie, you're woo-woo, and, and, and it kind of gets shuffled under the rug. But there is a lot of, of uh, actual information, factual information that they've – I mean they've, they've been studying this with their best minds for thousands of years. And so it's definitely some wisdom there. And I, I was – after Googling around and looking into it, there's, there's this concept of like an energy awakening or a kundalini awakening. And it's this idea that, that you have this, this energetic system of the body but – you know, when, when you're completely disconnected from it, you know, we've, we've been raised in a society that doesn't even teach you about it. So how would you know to, to cultivate it? You know what I mean? And, and then, you know, with injuries and with traumas as a kid and whatever that you kind of get offline and you, you lose the connection. And, um, I don't even know how long it's been shut off, like probably since I was a little boy, but, uh, yeah, I just realized that I was having this, I was now reconnected. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to cultivate this. And I instantly got a yoga membership like the next day, started doing, started going to a yoga studio and I've been, you know, an avid yoga, avid yogi ever since. Um, so, so this tank experience wakes this energy system up in me. I start going to yoga all the time. I basically get on this path of like the stereotypical, you know, hippie path or whatever you want to call it, where <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. And then what, the other thing that's really weird about it is it, is it made me want to write. It made me like realize that, oh, shit, I, these are important experiences. These are important ideas. I need to write this stuff down. And I started keeping a journal. And that started really having profound – I felt like the benefits of that were tremendous because it helped me articulate my ideas to myself, kind of where I was going to go next, what I wanted to do, what my plan was. So, um, yeah, that one experience, all of a sudden, I've got like uh, a health practice with yoga, which is also like a meditation practice, and uh, and then writing, and so and those are like my favorite things now. So it completely, completely transformed kind of my my uh, go to things that I was doing for fun at the time. Um, I, I was part of this, uh, you know, party, just go to bars, drink every weekend, and then after that, go to raves and party at raves instead. And that was kind of the cycle I was in, the cycle my friends were in, and which was, you know, some some of it were good times. But then I also realized that it's just not getting me anywhere to where I want to go. 
And uh, I, I realized kind of the end result of where that path leads. And you kind of see people who who have abused substances, who have abused alcohol. And, it, and it's so rampant in our society. It's oh, almost yeah. like uh, just a given at this point. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the psychedelics helped wake me up to – and I would consider cannabis a psychedelic because two of my most significant experiences in my life have been with cannabis. Um, so it's, I'm really encouraged by the fact that that's becoming, you know, legalized and that, you know, with these these trials with MDMA and trials with psilocybin and, and you know, the work that MAPS is doing and just the fact that this stuff's becoming more, it, it, if not legal everywhere, it's at least being talked about now where people are starting to have conversations, which is really cool. And that's part of why I started the blog is, um, A, I wanted to write more. I knew it just felt good to write and to create things and be creative, which I never had like a creative hobby in the past. And so it was mainly for my own benefit. But I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool to write about things that people don't want to talk about or people normally aren't used to talking about and that need to be talked about and, you know, be kind of a, a shine a light on things that, you know, are, are significant. So that's kind of the the roots of where the blog came from. I started it maybe a month or two after that experience in the tank, and it was mainly just for fun. Uh, just started posting a couple things, but then you know as I as I was doing that, I'm like I really enjoy this, and I and I I'd had a couple of months experience at the bar at this point, and I'm like bartending isn't the path I really thought it was going to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I was, I was thinking of it like, Oh, this will be social. It'll be fun and all this stuff. But then the reality sets in and you realize, you know, really hard to be healthy and have a night job. And especially when you're in a, you know, when you're in an environment where there's tons of alcohol and you're, everyone's drinking all the time, you know, you're trying, you're trying alcohols, trying beers, trying spirits all the time. And so I just found myself drinking more than I wanted to. And, uh, I also found myself like not getting proper sleep and, and all those things that are super important to health. And so I, I just decided it wasn't for me and I made the decision to, to that I was going to do something else. And so this is where I was like, okay, well, what do I do? And I, uh, I had always kind of wanted to go to South America. So I was like, fuck, this is, this is the adventure. This is called the adventure. Just do it. And so I decided I was going to just walk away from my job and, um, buy a one-way flight to Costa Rica. Um, the reason I chose Costa Rica was because of a guy named um, Graham Hancock. Have you Are you familiar with yeah, him? Yeah. yeah, so I love Graham. Um, he, he has a TED Talk called The War on Consciousness, which if any of your listeners, you want a really awesome, one of my favorite TED Talks. It's only like 18 minutes, and um, he talks about the nature of the war on consciousness or the war on drugs and um, he goes into DMT, essentially, talks about ayahuasca and these traditions in the Amazon. And, uh, and then unre- like in a totally random different, uh, different time, I, I, was, I found this place called Rhythmia online. And Graham Hancock's right on the front page as like a testimonial. So I was mm. like, holy shit, this is where Graham goes to do ayahuasca. This, is, this should be where I should go check it out. And so I, I booked there for a week. That was going to be the first kind of leg of my trip. And then I had no idea after that. And, um, yeah, just got a flight, uh, ducked out of town for, for a couple of months, like two and a half months in total. Um, but, yeah, the – I don't know, man. The, the, that, I guess if we want, we can jump into the ayahuasca conversation. But sure, yeah. I feel like just, just that whole – 
process came from me realizing me accepting the call you know what i mean yeah. and and i think everyone's has those experiences in their life where they have an opportunity to step outside of their comfort zone they have an opportunity to step outside of the box and it's much much easier to say no or to ignore it you know mm-hmm. and i'm sure you've had you know the same types of experiences in your life right yeah definitely i mean everything that you've said has completely resonated with me in my life experiences even down to the hip oddly enough so oh really we're we're more alike than you probably even imagine at this point man um (laughs) but uh so i want to go back to um mormonism and how you started getting involved into um um joseph campbell's uh work and hero's journey because uh most people don't most people you talk to and i talk to don't know what the hero's journey is about um what the underlying mechanism of that is and what he really is talking about like with myths and things like that so mm-hmm. with mormonism um when you left uh you were about 20 you said or something like that i think that's when you kind of started changing um were you still like a believer in mormonism at that point when you kind of left your home so that's a good question yeah um I, I, I moved out when I was 18 for a short few months. So, so basically they have the, – the, the group I was a part of, they have a missionary program. Okay. Uh, but it's not it, – it shouldn't even really be called a missionary program because it's not you're – not, you're, not you're not going out on a mission mm. to preach, right? Instead, you donate two years of your time. So uh, either you get a job and you turn your checks in or you um, go volunteer and you work in the community. And they have a, a program for all that. So uh, that's what I did out of high school, which is like what most of the guys there do. They're really encouraged or pressured even to do it when they get out of high school. And um, not to go on too much of a side yeah. tangent here, but but like it's a very interesting dynamic in the community because they have a placement marriage system. Hmm. So so essentially, as a guy, you're not supposed to date. You're not supposed to be looking at you know and look, looking into relationships with girls at all. And you. Um, so, so the the idea is to be a good, you know, guy to be a good elder in the community is to uh, is to go on a mission and then like you know that way the the apostles or the leaders they look they look at you as somebody who's a, a worthy candidate for a wife, right? And um, so that's kind of the pressure that the reason why I went on the mission was because of that kind of social pressure, and then also I was up in the air about what I believed and and I. You know, I was raised in this community. I still believed it. Um, my job that I got took me to Salt Lake and then back eventually to Arizona where I grew up. But it, I got off my mission a little bit early, mm. but I was still kind of one foot in, one foot out at the time. And that when I moved to Vegas, right after I moved there, um, I met a girl who who I got in a relationship with. And just the fact that I think that was the catalyst because she is obviously like, well, I'm not a polygamist, so yeah. <laughs> you are, and we, you know what I mean? And so yeah. it was just, it was something that was obviously, it, it put urgency on the situation, made me think hard about what I believed in. But at the same time, I was coming across all of this evidence discrediting Mormonism and Joseph Smith in particular. So, and, and I don't know if there's any, uh, I hate to be the guy that's like, I don't want to tear down anyone's right. like view or of reality or anything right. like that. But if any Mormons want a red pill, <laughs> yeah. then uh, it's called letter to a CES director. Hmm. And it's a, it's a, 
a Mormon wrote, a Mormon scholar who wrote a letter to the church with all of his concerns mm. because of all this information he'd found. And I read that and it like shook my whole foundation. Then I met my ex, you know, that relationship kind of just took me out completely. And yeah, over the next couple of years, I just got more and more comfortable, you know, re redefining my views of yeah. the world outside of that whole paradigm. Um, Joseph Campbell didn't enter the picture until early this year, really. Yeah, like okay. I, I, I was really into to Watts and um, this Eastern philosophy, and uh, I, obviously guys like you know Terence McKenna and stuff like that have been really interesting to listen to. But as far as is psychology and getting into Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, which are both you know heroes of mine now, that didn't start until the beginning of the year. Mm. Um, Jordan Peterson was also a catalyst for that. Jordan Peterson's a guy who articulates Young's theories very well, and I feel like that's they have a lot of common uh, commonality, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what is the uh, hero's journey to you? I guess like um, in reference to um, Joseph Campbell's work. Well, so my my opinion might be a little bit. I, I don't know if "difference" is the right word, but um, so so back to that Watts experience I had where I just felt one with everything i i don't think that life is serious i don't think that that it's i i think that the nature of reality is playful i think that it's it's a game it's it's um it's a it's a big act it's a big drama it's a big game of hide and seek so we're playing hide and seek from ourselves where we hide and pretend that we're just poor little old me i'm just a little human with all these problems and everything's so in, serious and intense and all these emotions um but then when you have little little peaks of insight and realize you're not, you're not just you're not just this you're you know you're everything and i think that is the kind of the the foundation of of my my view of reality but within that you know sure that's that's the case but you still got to live right mm -hmm. you're still here so if life's supposed to be playful then let's then let's enjoy it let's have let's let's um maximize it as much as possible and to me that's what the hero's journey is i think it's it's realizing that um that you're the hero of your own story right and we it's easy to fall into this mindset that you know you watch movies you you whatever culture kind of portrays other people celebrities as like the ones that are the heroes they're, they're kind of the face they're kind of the image of of what's going on in society and Instagram does that really bad. You know, you see it in everyone else's story and, and it kind of makes you kind of depressed about your own life. But realizing that you're the hero of your own journey, of your own story, and you can write that story however you want. And um, these myths and these stories, I think they're speaking to that, that human element in all of us, that, 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 that human nature of, of what it means to go into the unknown and to go into the, the wilderness and to the other world, the otherworldly place where these things happen. These, these crazy experiences take place because you got to leave your doorstep. You got to cross the threshold, right? You got to leave your comfortable house before any of this stuff can really happen. And, um, we're so, we're almost like programmed. Like, I mean, we are programmed to stay inside that box, to stay inside that house. I mean, there's really, no other way like when you look at the state of society today why would everybody be in the in the mess they're in 
if it wasn't just momentum and programming and, and you know just this just everything in their environment working against them to keep them in that situation and that's the sad thing is that's that's the state of the world today in some places um especially in the west i think that you have to swim upstream and fight a real uphill battle to be in, to be the person that just lives a healthy life and then has is satisfied and fulfilled and does what you want to do like you're an outlier if you're that person you're in the you're in the you know my, minority for sure and that's unfortunate like we should be creating a society where that's what we promote all the time and everyone has um so for me the hero's journey is yeah it's it's that process it's it's this idea of of recognizing the hero inside yourself and um yeah and and accepting the call and going out on the adventure and and you're gonna be radically changed like it's just gonna radically change you there's really no way around that like that's the whole point of the of the of the journey is that that's what happens and all these myths show that with the the heroes coming back with the you know after they survive the ordeal and they they're coming back with the elixir and they have they have this knowledge or this gift or this whatever it is that you took away from the whole experience you know yeah um with your adventure through the hero's journey like how do you see your progress right now like um because joseph campbell obviously talks about like very specific um like objectives kind of through that or process yeah. or benchmarks you could say through this process the roadmap. right yeah so how does yeah, exactly. that apply to your own life well it's kind of it's kind of tough to say because you know, to be in it and then to have that objective view where you can just stand back and say, oh, this is where I'm at in my life. Like, I might have an opinion about that, but I could also be wrong because I don't know what's coming next. Um, I would say what's interesting is it, I think it kind of applies on a micro and a macro level. On a, For instance, let's take a psychedelic trip or a journey um, as an example. I feel like you can go through the whole hero's journey in just one day if you're, you know, on a psychedelic trip. Um, it's a roller coaster, and it's like you're going through the whole thing, and then when that's over, you know you're back to life, and you could still be going through a more macro version of a journey um, that's over the span of months or years. And so for me, I mean, I feel like I'm definitely to the point where I have, I've, you know, crossed the threshold. I've gone into the other world, and I've, mm -hmm. I've. I would even say had an ordeal like um, ayahuasca is fucking hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your ayahuasca experience. Uh, okay, sure. Um, so, yes, yeah, so arrhythmia back to Graham Hancock and arrhythmia and um, get in the decision to go get there. into what um, ayahuasca is because I mean a lot of people listening to this probably will know, um, but okay. I want to know what ayahuasca is why you i mean you went there um to have this experience but ayahuasca is a very specific type of experience so why why did you um feel a desire to have that psychedelic versus say another lsd trip and yeah. um that whole thing for sure so um if i was totally you know a noob to psychedelics and and like all that i don't know if i would have gone and done ayahuasca i most likely wouldn't have um for me you know, I'd already had, I mean, a really mild mushrooms experience, but then I did it again uh, and had a, a, a full dose um, 
earlier, right? Like a few couple months before I went to Costa Rica, which was a whole nother story, which I won't dive too deep into on, you know, right now, but essentially I just hiked off into the wilderness with my dog about five miles up into a Canyon and camped for the night and just did three grams by myself. Um, and that was just, that was just a roller coaster. That was one of the <laughs> toughest nights of my life. That was hardcore. So, and, and that's not, I would not recommend anyone doing that. <laughs> like you, there's safer ways to have that experience. So anyways, um, for me, the difference and the, 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 the big deal here with DMT, which is the active dimethyltryptamine is the active psychoactive ingredient in, uh, in ayahuasca so they have the the vine which has the dimethyltryptamine in it and then the they have a leaf as well which they they brew together and the leaf has harmine which is a mao inhibitor i believe right which shuts off the enzyme in your stomach which would normally make the the dmt non-psychoactive so in other words if you eat a plant with dmt you're not going to trip out because you've got an enzyme to protect you from that um that way we don't always trip out when we eat our food because there's a lot of plants with dmt there's thousands and thousands um so yeah this this concept of dmt is a little in my opinion different than other psychedelics um other psychedelics i feel like they change your state of like your perception they change they definitely change and they, you go on a journey and you can have so many benefits but but i feel like dmt has got another element to it there's so much curiosity there and so much mystery there. Um, you know, they, they, science has kind of proven that it's produced in, in the body. It's a natural brain hormone. A lot of people suspect it's produced in the pineal gland um, because of some studies on, on mice, which have shown that it's produced in the pineal gland of mice. Um, and so if DMT, that's, that's a great question. Like, so what is DMT and, and why, what is this ayahuasca experience? And I think, Going into it with a kind of an understanding of what it is is very important. So in my opinion, there's – and Graham talks about this in his TED Talk. So it's, okay. it's a great place to go. And if you can, you should throw the link uh, on your site or something. But uh, there's, there's this idea, the one idea that kind of mainstream Western science has, which is that the brain is a generator for consciousness, right? So we don't understand consciousness completely, but we know that it – it's tied to the brain. It's inherently, you know, like we can, we can screw with the brain here. We can put a little electrode here and you'll feel a certain emotion or something will change in your physiology. So we know your conscious experience is very tied to the physiology of your brain. And so the theory is if the brain dies then or shuts off, then consciousness goes away. And it's just like a generator generating electricity and there's no electricity if there's no generator. Um, the other way of looking at it, um, is, is less of a reductionist, materialist, scientific way, I guess. And that is that what if the brain is more of like a receiver, like an antenna, where you're receiving a signal or a frequency um, of consciousness. And where this, like the metaphor would be like a television or a radio. If your television breaks or blows up, you still have the signal from the satellite that's got DirecTV, right? That's got the signal, right? So the the... the television itself the tv signal doesn't go away just because the hardware malfunctions or, mm. or breaks and that's the idea here is that what if the brain what if consciousness is outside of the brain and it ex it can exist outside of the brain and the brain is just uh housing it and it's just kind of the uh the receiver of the antenna 
while you're in this body. So with DMT, when DMT, you bring DMT into the mix, now what if DMT is just uh, nature's way, because it exists everywhere in nature, so it's funny to just lump it in as a drug. This is something that exists naturally yeah. all over the world, um, <laughs> in, all, in all of us. So what if DMT is a substance that when excreted in the brain, it's like adjusting the channel or the, of the radio or the television. It's, it's tuning into maybe a different frequency, right? Um, so we live our normal life in this three-dimensional reality that everyone's used to, and we think of it as real, even though all real means is that we can all agree upon that it's all here. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's this capital R reality and that this is all that exists. In fact, science has absolutely proven that so much more than we can see exists. You've got the light spectrum, and we've now got instruments to measure electromagnetism and light, and the visible light spectrum is like a fraction. It's like 1% or 2%, It's like, or maybe 4 or 5%. It's a tiny percentage of the actual spectrum. So what we can see around us with our eyes, we have, we have horrible tools of, of picking up the of reality around us. We have horrible instruments for sensory data, like input. Our eyes are terrible at it. We can only see a fraction of what's out there. Mm -hmm. There's like 95% of what's out there that we can't see. And, you know, we can pick it up with X-ray machines and gamma wave machines and radio wave machines. And we have instruments to measure some of it, but there's still a lot of it that's totally unknown. So what if um, DMT is just tuning you into something that we don't perceive normally? So you have to that, – that's the big question. Is it something that you're just hallucinating in your brain and it's just a, a drug that your brain is, is tripping out and you're going to see some stuff that's not there? Or are you being tuned into something that might actually be there? Yeah. Which is why ayahuasca is hard. <laughs> because sometimes like you're gonna go through some experiences that are gonna dramatically alter your uh perception of reality. At least I did. So um yeah, so that's kind of Graham that's Graham's yeah. I, I took most of that from Graham Hancock. He's he the way he talks about it's really smart. Um, so, so for me, I was going into this with a lot of intention. Um, I thought about it for a long time, obviously. I mean, you, it's, what it's was expensive. the, what was the intention, I guess? Like, um, I mean, you talked about what DMT is and the, and the possibility of the science behind it, but what in that possibility was something that you mm -hmm. felt like you needed to experience? Okay. Um, it's, it's funny cause starting out my, my, my intentions at the beginning kind of morphed as I went through the experience because it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you show up with these, this list of things that you want to achieve, but then you have an, an experience with ayahuasca and you laugh kind of about what you thought you needed to achieve. Like your, your perspective changes and you're like, oh, I focus on something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I, I knew that there was still a lot from my past, from my childhood that I needed to move on from, that I needed to grow grow out of and that there was probably some some trauma there that needed to come out and you know i knew there were some things i needed to face and get rid of some demons to face some monsters to, to face or whatever um but also i was just very also very curious and fascinated about this idea that there might be a whole nother dimension or realm that you can tune into right and and people have been experiencing this for thousands of years and they've been making ayahuasca for at least six thousand years maybe longer. Some people estimate for as long as there's been humans in the Amazon basin. So, um, 
you have to ask yourself, why has a tradition like that survived so many, so much time and cultural upheaval? I mean, Cortez shows up in South America, fucks up everything, kills you know ninety five percent of the population, either by murder or disease, and they burned all the records, all the books, all the churches. So you have a tradition that went way underground to survive all that, and and they they were very adamant about keeping it alive so you have to ask yourself why are they going to such great lengths to preserve something like that you know there might be something to it there might be some wisdom there who knows so those were questions that i had asked and that's kind of why i had gone on the journey to to go experience it for myself Hmm. um along with the intention i i just to kind of prepare i i wanted to uh to fast uh to kind of clean my body out and i clean my mind i mean i don't know if you've looked into the benefits of of fasting but like i'm actually on a fast right now mm. i'm on like day f- day five of a fast wow. um and i feel pretty good like <laughs> it, it's this kind of illusion this is this illusion that people think you have to eat all the time and you don't like i feel i feel solid right now but i did a seven day fast leading up to that so it was just really really potent really strong right when i did it the first night um because I was just like opened up to it, I guess nothing, nothing in my body that I had to really purge out. Like everyone else around me is puking. I didn't, I didn't puke once mm. the whole night um, or the whole four days, but I purged in a lot of other weird ways. So <laughs> don't, don't think you're not going to purge. Um, anyways. Yeah. I, so I don't know if I covered that well enough about what my intention was, but the experience itself, um, the first night was just, absolutely profound um well i'll I'll preface it with this the day of the we kind of had like an arrhythmia what's cool about arrhythmia is you get a lot of integration you get a lot of of community and you get a lot of like seminars and things Mm -hmm. where you're actually having discussions and learning you're not just going off and taking it and then like you know kind of making sense of it by yourself so one thing that there there are three big there are three big intentions that they have arrhythmia are they want to they want the plant they call it plant medicine right they want the ayahuasca to uh show them what they've become so show me what i've become basically means show me all the show me the shit like show me the the shadow that carl Jung talks about you know show me the things that i'm scared of seeing about myself and really hold the honest mirror up and show me what i've become um the second thing is uh to to heal or actually the second thing is to merge back with your soul. Mm. And that's a, that sounds like a really interesting woo woo thing too. But, um, the idea is that, you know, when you are born, you've got this kind of this body and this soul, and you've kind of got it in harmony living together. But normally at some point in the first five years of our life, we have some sort of traumatic event or experience and there's a rift or a schism that takes place where we kind of lose connection to this intuition, this uh, inner voice, this, you know, soul, whatever you want to call it, and uh, this higher self, so to speak. And so goal two is to reunite with that. Hmm. And then goal three is to, is to heal your heart. Um, and, and I, what's crazy is like, that sounds all, all whatever, but I actually experienced all of those things. And I think 90 plus percent of the people that go to Rhythmia say that they've experienced those things. Um, the first night I experienced all of the, 
I, I had the mirror shown, you know, in front of my face, showing me the things about myself that I was that I was shameful of. I got a lot of a lot of went through a lot of shame and fear, and then the biggest fear. I think that a lot of us have is this, this fear of mortality, this mm. fear of death. And it's because we live so like, and I can say this now, but to, you know, cause in the past I had no idea, but consciousness isn't just your ego. So you perceiving the world in the lens of an ego, you got to understand that's just one lens. That's just one filter of how you can experience it. There's ways to, not see things through the ego. And that's where I feel like meditation is such a key because you can get to those states without uh, psychedelics. Mm-hmm. You really can. You can get to there just with your own mind. And uh, so for me, I'd lived so much of my life just in my ego and it was so real to me. And it was like, I had all this fear about, about dying. So when I was experiencing the death of my ego, I thought it was real death. And it felt like real death. I mean, that's the thing about ayahuasca, and you can probably speak to this as well. It's <laughs> it's indiscernible from real. Like you're experiencing something that is at the time real. So just the same way that we see the world around us as real, even though there's radio waves all around me, there's Wi-Fi all around me, I can't see it. You know what I mean? But if I had some sort of glasses where now I can see more of the spectrum, what is real to me would instantly change. Mm-hmm. I would now my definition of reality would shift. And so when you're in this DMT experience, your definition of reality shifts and you are going through a real experience is what it feels like. Uh, it's hard to differentiate that from anything else. So um, dying feels like dying. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And I fought it for a long fucking time and you're not supposed to fight. Like they tell you just kind of surrender and, let ayahuasca do its thing because whether you fight or whether you surrender it's going to do its thing you're going to you're going to get there one way or another it can be brutal or you can let it happen and i let it be brutal um for the first couple nights i have a really hard time letting go and and giving up control (laughs) so it was really it's one of the things that i had to face was my fear of, of lack of control and so yeah experiencing dying uh and being reborn and the second I was reborn and felt breath come back into my lungs, I felt this, I heard this voice. Uh, and I don't know if I said this out loud or if it was just in my head, but I heard a voice that was, that said, I'm back. Hmm. And to me, that was like my higher self, my soul, my intuition, that inner, that inner light, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's so many different cultural ways to, to name it, but I felt merged back with that. And um, I felt like I was more my authentic self again. Um, so it was a really, really profound experience. I was just like laughing and smiles the whole rest of the night. But uh, the next couple of nights, because I did four ceremonies in total, uh, the next couple of nights were extremely brutal of just dealing with inner fear, getting rid of shame and fear. And uh, like, it's just, it's, it's not fun. It's work. And you're, I mean, you're purging. But when you get th- on the other side of that work, it's it's like when you're at the other end of a hard day's work, it just feels good. Like I actually did – like that was good for me and I know it was and I got it out of me and I did that. And and, that, and you feel kind of like – I mean for me, I felt like a – like I took kind of like a stoic warrior approach to it, which was like, okay, man the fuck up. Let's face this and let's 
get through it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we know, I know that it needs to happen. Um, and so I got rid of a lot of stuff, uh, which I write about more depth on my blog. I was try I try to be pretty transparent about my experience, even though some of it's pretty personal because I think just people getting a real insight into what's actually happening. And, and obviously you're not going to have the same experience as me, but what somebody experienced can give you some insight into what to expect if you're looking into it yourself. So, um, yeah, I, a lot of work, but, but all three of those things, like I said, the the showing who I've become, healing my heart, and reuniting with my soul, all that, all that I feel like took place, and uh, I just felt like a much lighter, better version of myself mm-hmm. with much more love. Uh, it's like if you think of if you think of that back to that spectrum of light, you know, you've got really everything's just energy vibrating on the on the spectrum at different speeds. So the reason we see red instead of purple is red vibrates slower and then purple vibrates faster. So it's just a higher frequency. I think the same thing of any emotion. So love is going to be a higher frequency emotion and fear is going to be a lower frequency emotion. So that's, I mean, it's common sense and guys like Tesla say, if you want to understand the universe, think of it in terms of frequency and vibration. Mm. So, and he was onto something clearly like he was (laughs) centuries ahead of his time. So, um, I felt like as I left, I was just vibrating at a higher frequency. I just, I'd gotten rid of so much of the lower negative fear based stuff, which, which we all get. And some of it's really just unavoidable because you're just born in an environment of fear. Like that's just, I mean, if you think about it, man, like we, we're not too many generations away f- from some pretty fucked up stuff that's happened yeah. on this planet. Um, I mean, I mean, and you carry it. Like, I think this this whole idea. I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but this idea of uh, of collective consciousness and this idea of of um, imagine an invisible f- field around the Earth that is connecting all of us. So it's our collective subconscious, so to speak, and each. It's like the internet, but for our consciousness. And each human being is a little node on that giant network. And so when someone experiences something, let's say they have an experience of a lower frequency thing like fear or, uh, or something like that, then, then it, goes into the, it goes into that grid. It goes into that network, and it affects the whole human race in some tiny, tiny way. Mm. And that's the whole idea with the um, you know, karma is like karma, it leaves a trail. It leaves like a signature. Right when when something happens, um, and people talk about akashic records, it's this idea of this field where it's all stored, and um, I feel like I feel like so much has negative lower frequency stuff has happened to the human race by the human race, and you know just like you think of the Inquisition, you think yeah. of genocide like you know the Nazis versus the Jews, and genocide like. Europeans and colonialists versus the Native Americans. I mean, we wiped out, that's the worst genocide that I know of. I mean, we wiped out 95% of North and South America's population. It's really, really just unbelievable unbelievable when you think about it and how we've whitewashed history. Um, So anyways, all that stuff is lingering, and I think that it affects us. And I think that you've got an uphill battle. Like, you've got to fight through all that stuff and be one of the people to to shift it in the right direction. And I, th- the good news is, I think that shift is happening. I think people hmm. are are doing that. It's interesting, man. 
Very good points. Um, so with your experience, you went to Costa Rica, you had the ayahuasca experience, and you felt like you uh, you came out of that as a better person. And then, um, and then what, what has continued on with you, like, since then? Um, I mean, you did you stay there for a while and, and do additional work and then come back or, um, yeah. what was that about? Right. So, so rhythmia, just one last one on rhythmia. Um, if anyone's looking into it uh, as, as an option, um, I would say it's, it's more expensive, uh, but it's, it's a really nice resort. And it, like I said, they provide a great community and a great, uh, support system. I would say the biggest downside with Rhythmia is that they get so many people in there that you're in ceremony with 70 people, 60 oh, wow. people, and it's just ah uh, that that there's so many variables there and so much unpredict you know unpredictability and uh, if you go to a more traditional setting where like you have a more traditional shaman, they're never gonna let that f- you know what I mean that they're gonna want to yeah. have a more of a handle on the environment, so they want less people there um, typically. And I just uh, sometimes I felt like Rhythmia was a little bit haywire, where it's like anything kind of can happen oh, here. Wow. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. A little bit nuts. Um, it's good, honest opinion so after, there. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I just want people to to know exactly. I want to be totally transparent about it. I love the people there at Rhythmia, but um, if you want if you wanted a more intimate experience with a shaman, that's not the place. So, um, anyways, I went I went about traveling through Costa Rica, Panama, made my way to Colombia, just having the time of my life, uh, absolutely loving it. And I think travel in and of itself outside of, I mean, if you want a, a great way to open up your mind, you don't want to do any psychedelics, just travel because get out of your comfort zone. And if you go put yourself in a part of the world where nobody thinks like you think, and nobody has the same cultural background that you have, you're going to start questioning those things about your environment because now that you're not in your environment you can kind of see the impact that it's had on you you can kind of see it for what it really is mm. so yeah so for me traveling was just an unbelievable experience uh, i was a little nervous going into it because i'm like oh i'm going by myself i <laughs> yeah. don't have any friends and then i realized right away you just meet so many cool people and meet new friends and getting out like that was the the best thing i could have done was buy that one-way flight but um I ended up – I wanted to get that more authentic traditional experience, uh, whereas Rhythmia is a really good kind of entry point for someone who's not, like from the West who doesn't know much about what they're getting into and who doesn't want to go onto a deep dive and go into the jungle or anything like that. Um, but I wanted to get more, a more authentic version of it too. So I found this place in Colombia – I ended up spending a month in Medellin hmm. and there's this there's this little town up in the mountains by Medellin called Santa Elena and there's a little they have a little retreat center there. Um it's just a cozy little quaint place, nothing like super fancy or special, but it's just absolutely gorgeous as far as where it's located. It's right in the mountains and you have this beautiful view looking over Medellin below, but uh the reason I I got drawn to that place was because I wanted to try uh, Wachuma or San Pedro, which is mm. uh, like masculine. It's a it's a psychedelic cactus, and um, I contacted them. Ended up arranging it and going, and I kind of lucked out because I ended up going there the one 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 week per year. They get this elder that comes up from their their tribe in in uh, Ecuador. Mm. So so their healer 
their their primary healer. He's about thirty years old, and he's this tremendous guy. But um, the elder of his community, who's like eighty five, and he's been doing, I he's been drinking ayahuasca since he was a little boy, like mm. multiple times a week for eighty five, like eighty <laughs> years. So just think about that. Like yeah. that guy lives as much in the DMT world as he lives in the regular world. So wow. he's he's as well versed as you'll ever get in that realm. And and so I had the opportunity to drink with him, um, which I, I just felt like fell right into place and is what I needed, but really, really weird coincidence. And um so yeah, uh ten day retreat there, did ayahuasca three more times and that's where that's where I thought I thought that I'm like I'm thinking okay yeah I got some some experience under my belt I've drinking a few times I know what I'm doing this is fine <laughs> no 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 and 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 the thing is is like not only is this guy on a different level as far as as far as the shamans arrhythmia no no I mean and I like I said I love the people there but there there's just an uh, you know they've got their experience and it's good and they're absolutely helping people and I love that but then there's another level hmm. where we're talking like Jedi level. Like we're, <laughs> yeah. ta- we're talking like Yoda. Like if you could train with Yoda or you could train with uh, even, I don't know, like o- even Obi-Wan, y- Yoda's a different level, right? And so um, I feel like that's what it was like. And, and another thing is, is they give you a lot more ayahuasca. I drank hmm. a lot more just because they give you a full cup. It's absolutely horrible to drink. But, um, yeah, man, like, and this was my most recent blog post I wrote about this experience. But I I had, I experienced shit that I can't even describe. Like, um, first night I experienced kind of like the, I felt like the destruction of the world in, in a thousand different ways. And I just experienced, like, all the different ways that this could end. And one thing that really stuck out to me too was this, this kind of concept of Christ, Hmm. which I, I, and so without getting, making this too confusing, (laughs) (laughs) the, the thing that this, this place is called Eagle Condor Alliance, right? And they, they specialize in ancestral healing. So Hmm. they're, they're not just trying to heal you of your personal uh, traumas that you've maybe experienced in your life, which, you know, you, you definitely might see some of that, but you've got this, this idea that, that this, this collective karma, this consciousness where that's holding the record of what humans have done. And let's say that it can transfer and travel through genetics and through bloodlines. So in other words, this idea of inherited trauma or inherited, uh, baggage, whatever, right. Um, which, interestingly enough, there's a there's like a little bit of studies that have kind of proven this. Uh, if you look at grandchildren of concentration camp survivors, mm, yeah. they did a study and they they're three hundred percent more likely to be uh, needing like like psychiatric help or like uh, you know sessions with a psychiatrist. So I felt like I had so much of this darkness Mm. in my bloodline and not to say i fucking love my family obviously i'm not talking not talking shit on my bloodline (laughs) but what i'm saying is like when we we probably all do 
but I've just got a couple generations, or I don't even know how many generations of of authoritarian, patriarchal abuse, um, sexual abuse, uh, you know, just all of this stuff, which some of it I found out about when I was on ayahuasca. You know what I mean? Like stuff that you had no idea was a thing in the family, and then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, this is a disease that's been in my in my ancestors and in yeah. the generations before me. So, you know, it's it's crazy to wake up to that reality and realize that there's there's stuff outside of your ex- little experience in in the short amount of life that I've lived that's affecting this as well. And so the idea with with the healing that they're doing there is that you can actually get stuff and clean out your bloodline and actually mm-hmm. heal stuff from maybe grandpa, you know what I mean? And um I absolutely felt like that's what wow. I experienced. Yeah, I I felt like I got, and I, and a lot of it had to do with this idea of Christ, uh, and this idea. I I don't like I, I don't want to to bash any right. religion, but I feel like the message of what Christ brought was one of love, obviously, right? And what's happened is is that's been twisted, and it's been used to control people. Um, and it's been used in a way that's, that's really sad, honestly. I mean, like we've gone, how many wars have we fought and how many people have been tortured as heretics and all these things that we've done in the name of Christ. Obviously that's not the message of Christ. That's obvious. But even now, even today when maybe the violence isn't so much of a factor, um, we're, we're still promoting some pretty evil ideas behind this guise of, of, love and and christ and and i and i just saw it for what it was i saw i saw the pure message and then i saw i experienced first person the twisted message which took over my whole body and i was the i was everything that's wrong with christianity at the time like i was i was possessed by it and to the point where i was screaming at the top of my lungs in the middle of a quiet Maloka where everyone's supposed to be completely silent. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I, you got to imagine, like, I'm the observer, right? <laughs> I'm in the passenger seat watching this shit go down. I have no control over my voice box. And I am uh, I'm screaming because, and they're telling me to be quiet, and I would scream at him and tell him not to talk over me, and I would tell he would be quiet, and then I would, like, speak this profound message that I had for everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just this absolutely bananas experience. And I just realized, like, oh, my God, I've got, like, this this authoritarian element in my genes. It's in my blood, and mm. i got to get it out of me, you know what I mean? This this controlling people and all that. And um, anyways, so it's taken over me, and they're trying to get it out. They're basically, I mean, I don't know if exorcism is the right term, <laughs> but, like, they're trying to get this sh- shit toned down. And I literally bail. I leave the Maloka. I'm like leaving, and they're trying to stop me. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm leaving. And they took four guys to pick me up and carry me back Whoa. in the Maloka. They carry me back in, and uh, the healer like rubs. He has this this blessed lotion of some kind that he put on my head and my hands. And then they have these nettles. It's like a branch, yeah, yeah. Okay. which has all these really fine spines on it. And he whipped my back with the nettles, <laughs> hurt like a son of a bitch. But what it did is it brought me back into my yeah, body, and yeah. it gave me it gave me back control. So I just after that I wasn't like this crazy person screaming. Huh. I was laying on my bed silently, like rocking back and forth, like 
what did I just experience, right? Like, holy shit. And um, shortly after that, I just felt the need to purge. Hmm. Um, went out to the latrine and purged a demon, like literally. Yeah. <laughs> like the worst thing that's ever come out of me. Um, and I, I was, it was the most putrid, disgusting experience. I just, as it came out of me, I was, I, I was just like <laughs> that moment, like you, you shake, you have the yeah. chills and you're just like, ugh, and like you get out of there and you don't want to ever look back. But uh. yeah, so there's, that's like, I would consider that like an ordeal. Like you're going through, you're going to have to face some, some things, but th- I think the benefit that you can take away from that and the message that maybe it's a message to bring to other people, maybe it's just in your own life, um, raising, you know, your frequency and getting rid of those lower level, level things that are holding you back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then like ayahuasca normally does, at least for me and my two experiences with it is, uh, the final day was just a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm experience of bliss and love. I mean tears of joy you're just and they they do the the final day there uh which I like a lot they do it during the day and you take a you take a much smaller amount and so you're out in nature and just absorbing it and I don't know if anyone's ever done I mean if you've ever done ayahuasca during the day in nature it's magical it's beautiful hmm. well, that's at wild, least man. it was for me <laughs> yeah a wild. lot a lot it's pretty wild man um I, that's I would consider that pretty close to the deep end, if not the deep end of the pool. So I wouldn't recommend that people just go jump right in, without, yeah. you know, a lot of intention and research and knowing what you're getting into. Um, ho- I hope that having conversations like this will kind yeah, of definitely let people know kind of what it is they're getting into. But I think it will. Yeah, yeah. that's the that's the goal, man. Um, yeah, you brought up your story. Actually, started making me sweat like in a weird way. Like, <laughs> I usually don't do that, but it was starting to remind me of some of my experiences that I kind of forgot about. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's coming up again. So um, that's interesting, man. Well, what what is, uh, I mean, do you have this desire to have those experiences still again? Or is it kind of like you're turning a new page to your book and you're you're starting on a on a different way? Um, So... I don't feel the need to do to drink ayahuasca anytime soon. If that answers your question, yeah, um, I I feel like I'm in actually a pretty good spot. I, I think that the 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 process of of growth is never ending. Obviously, so you're gonna always be you're gonna always find yourself in you know something you want to change or something that's holding you back or you find yourself slipping, slipping back into a rut. And um, my goal is to not be complacent. I think the biggest wake up call to me uh was that i just had i would live i was living my life in so much fear and complacency mm. um and not really living it on my own terms and not taking steps to live it on my own terms so now that's kind of my goal is to just only do things only occupy my time with things that i want to do so uh, that means not working in a dead end job for someone that i don't you know, want to support and, and something that doesn't bring me any gratification. Um, and so realizing that you can be free from the bonds of the, the, the psychological bonds of money Hmm. and realizing that money is in itself is neutral uh, and you can operate from a field and from a, a viewpoint of abundance and love and, and realize that money's going to come into your life. If you're doing what you, like if you're bringing something positive into the world and you start a a business or you start something that's 
helping people, the money's going to figure itself out. And you're going to, that part of it, I'm not even worried about. Uh, it's, it's getting away from the chains. Cause I mean, in a lot of ways we live in modern day slavery. It's, it's crazy. Like people are completely oblivious to the fact, but I have friends that are very, very wealthy who live in the same cycle on repeat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like having the amount of money in the bank isn't necessarily freedom. Um, it's it's a mindset, like being free. And obviously, if you're tied down by endless bills and you don't have any money to pay them, then you're not free either. So you got to use it to your advantage uh, as a tool. And and so that's kind of like where I'm at right now. Um, focusing on that, I've been I've been uh, since I've been back, I've been focusing more on that. I've been uh, so so to this. I want to talk about this uh, this surgery I had because oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of the chapter I'm in right now. Um, the the final ceremony of the uh, the ten day retreat in Colombia was a San Pedro ceremony, and San Pedro is a really beautiful medicine, uh, really awesome plant because it's it's psychedelic in a way, but like you're having these experiences, but you're centered, like you're focused, like you're, con- I could concentrate and I could think and I could focus. Whereas ayahuasca takes you all over the place and you're really, you know, on a roller coaster. Uh, San Pedro, I felt like not only was it able, a- able to focus and, and meditate and think about things and, and, and think through things, but I had a really, it was really hard opening as well. Hmm. So it's just a lot of love, a lot of positivity and it's just a really awesome awesome experience in the environment that I was in, which they take it all very seriously. I mean, like it's all, their ceremonies are very traditional and tons of intention. And, you know, it it was, it was really powerful to do it in that environment. And Mm -hmm. I think there's, there's an element of that that we definitely don't have in the West or or, or we did, but then we, you know, we killed all the Indians and now (laughs) all the native Americans and we destroy their traditions and so they've kind of gone away but it's funny because this this mescaline tradition and the peyote traditions come from the indigenous tribes of north and south america so uh it's the it's the traditions that were here before we kind of wiped them away but uh for me i was able to all these things were coming up in my head about what i was going to do next and i was able to just figure out the next move with so much clarity Mm. it was just like oh i'll do that and it was like i was direct like it's direct connection to my intuition and the and it wasn't like oh that's logical i'll do that that makes sense it's less risk than this other option it was more like oh yeah i know that that's my path i know that that's what i need to do and i just knew it was and so i'm just gonna go do it and that's i think the difference between knowing and and thinking something right or believing something so um, one of the things that it was obvious was this screw in my hip. Mm, yeah. Um, my fucker's got to come out. Got to get, got to get rid of this metal in my body. Right. And, uh, so I instantly decided I'm going to cut this trip short. I was going to travel for about another month. I'm like, I'm going to cut it short because I want to get back and get it taken out and have some time to heal it and recover because I'm planning another trip. I'm, I'm actually just booked my flight the other day to Asia hmm. and I'm heading, heading to Asia right before new year's. So I made the decision to, uh, actually kind of <laughs> another totally side tangent, which we don't have to jump into, but in the middle of all this random craziness, I fell in love with this girl oh. and, um, 
we're flying to Asia together and all that. So I wanted to get back in time to heal for that. And um, so, yeah, so that was one of the big decisions I made um, in the ceremony. So now that I'm back, right after I got back, I scheduled surgery, um, went and got it taken out. And I've been floating. I've been using float. I've gotten an unlimited membership at a float center. So I've been using float tanks probably four or five times a week. Wow. And I like to pair that with yin yoga, uh, which for anyone listening who's not familiar with yin, it's basically, I recommend it to anyone, but it's basically a style of yoga where you're not active in poses. So you're not sweating. You're not, I mean, it's not super hardcore. I mean, you might sweat, but it's not super intense. You're laying on the ground and the whole point is to detach from any muscle engagement. So you'll get into a pose and then your goal is to just breathe and let go of everything and let gravity pull you into the pose more. And as you do that, as you release the muscles, you actually get into the fascia and the connective tissue of the body, which is where we store a lot of emotional shit. We actually, and that's proven, like I've experienced it. I mean, it's, it's kind of proven. Obviously, it's, it's uh, Western science needs to catch up, but they're starting to show this uh, quite a bit. Um, for instance, like a dog, when a dog like slams its telling the door the first thing it does is it, it lets out a yelp and it shakes its whole body and the reason it shakes like that's because the initial trauma from the the pain of the event it's it shakes it out it like gets rid of that that emotion right away we don't have a good like we've kind of lost touch and we don't really have a good method for processing things that happen to us uh emotion and trauma and things like that and so i feel like if you hit adulthood, you're carrying a fucking cart full of stuff yeah. that, you know what I mean? And it, it, like all of a sudden I'm, I'm, uh, you know, in a, in a pose and all of a sudden I've op- doing a hip opener pose. And all, all of a sudden I'm thinking about this, you know, experience I had where my brother left me in a, I, I when I broke my hip and we were snowboarding and he put me in the car and then he went back and started snowboarding more. You know what I mean? Which we've totally like worked through it and, and I love him to death and all that. So there's no issues now, but it's funny because it all surfaces when you're in the pose and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you want to cry or you're angry and you're like, why am I experiencing this right now? And you'll see people in yoga classes just crying and like all this emotion coming out. And it's because we actually store it in our, in our fascia tissue, which you have to, to access, you have to, to relax your body you have to disengage your muscles to access that enter float tanks um no better way to release everything than in a float tank Mm -hmm. you can completely let go of all physical engagement and so i i think that's what happened with the experience back in january in the tank is i was just i was relaxed and somehow the cannabis plays as a catalyst where it kind of speeds that process up i think because now i can go and have i can connect to that energy and and open up my chakras without mm-hmm. cannabis. Like I don't need it anymore. I think it's like one of those things. It's more of just a catalyst to help wake you up. But it's it's like a muscle. The more you're familiar with it, the more you can access it. The more you can refine it. And I mean, everything's like that. Even your mind. Like that's what meditation's for. Is it's 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 realizing that. I mean, our mind is the biggest tool we have, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Everything we experience in the universe and in reality comes through the lens and the filter of our mind. And for some reason, we don't think it's important. A lot of people don't to to hone that in. You know what yeah. I mean? Like no, no, no mindfulness practice or meditation where you're actually focused on just your mind itself and, yeah. and focused on what's going on in your mind. 
you know, people are usually just a subject to a nonstop train of thoughts that never end. So, yeah, I don't know. Like the, for me, for me, I've used floating and yoga, um, to, to kind of get back to where I needed to be. It's been crazy, man. Like had some really crazy experiences even before I got the pin taken out right when I got back from, right when I got back from, um, Columbia and I did my first float in like three months. Right. Cause I'd been out of the country and, and I did it with some cannabis, some edibles. And, um, I have this experience where I feel all this tightness and, and I've been feeling it for months. Right. But this tightness in my low back and in, in my hip. And, um, I, I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to send my awareness to that area. I'm not going to be in my head. I'm going to go to where the actual stuff is and analyze it from there. And when I did that, I like instantly resurfaced this memory and mm-hmm. or two of them actually. But, but the, what, it blew my mind. I, I don't know if you'll believe this, but I literally experienced being circumcised. Hmm. Like I experienced being circumcised as a baby. That experience didn't just go away. Like it's stored in my body. And I found out the location of where it was stored and it was causing a bunch of discomfort and Mm. problems in my body. And I resurfaced it and I just cried and cried and cried in the float tank and had all these crazy emotions like betrayal come up. Like, why the fuck would they do this to me? I mean, I was just born and now they're going to do this to me. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, and so that, I mean, I was kind of on the fence about circumcision. I hadn't really looked into it much after that experience. I'm like, Whoever's circumcising their kids has got to just be, be an adult, <laughs> look into it a little yeah. bit. You realize the history of circumcision is a dark one. Yeah. And there's no reason to put a baby through that trauma. There's no medical reason. There's no hygienic reason. There's none of that. So yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need to end that one right now. There's still yeah. 25% of American males who get circumcised. So it's pretty weird. Yeah, it is, it is bizarre, man. No, I believe you uh, from your experience because I've experienced very similar things, especially through yoga um, and then psychedelics, definitely, um, very, very similar experiences, man. Um, so what, what are some ways that people can get a hold of you? And I mean, you have the true North project, um, talk about a little bit about your website, um, sure. and how people can kind of read your blog and get in, uh, and reach out to you and learn more about your ideas. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, the, the blog is kind of like, my my method of making sense out of of anything that I experience like that and, and anything that I find is is worth sharing. That's that's what the blog is for. Um, I don't have a, a picture of it on the of the logo on the hat here, but the the, the logo is just a, an astronaut in the lotus position meditating inside of a compass. And so for me, the I think images are are you know symbols are are powerful. So for me, I thought a lot about what I wanted the logo to be. And and so what it means to me is like the the astronaut is is this idea of the explorer, right? So I mean he's a modern day hero. He's he's out in the wilderness. He's exploring. And but but the physical world, whether it be space or even the ocean or the physical world around us, has been mapped pretty well. And it's been uh, I mean obviously we've got a lot to discover, but I don't think that the frontier of discovery that we should be focusing. Our, all of our energy on is the physical world. I think it's consciousness. And uh, there's so much to explore there, as you know. I mean, like, that's your whole, that seems like that's kind of the theme behind your whole blog and your podcast. And it's, it's really fascinating um, to see, like, 
these experiences like lucid dreaming and an astral projection and psychedelics, DMT and things like that, that we don't really have answers for right now. And so uh, I want to write about those type of things and be the explorer. And, and the compass is this idea of, of this idea of true north and the compass is finding things that help you get your bearings, right? Mm. So I like to write about things and talk about things that I think help people and make their lives better. So anything that's done that for me, that's what I'm going to share. So if it's, if it's a, a trip with ayahuasca and I want to write about how it's done that and how it's helped me and how it's helped me find my true north and get, get closer back to where that true north is. So that's kind of the idea behind the blog. Um, it's, it's, kind of, it's just truenorthproject.net if anyone wants to check it out. And uh, Instagram's True North underscore project, if you want to if you want to follow along. But um, yeah, I just uh, I'm going to be writing um, next about I've got some X-rays for the mm, yeah. from the hip with the pin cool. in it, and um, I'm going to get some follow-up X-rays when I get back from Asia because mm. when I go to Asia, I'm doing uh, a month or two in India just doing yoga. Oh, so wow. I'm going to be doing a, I'm going to be doing a yoga training and really focusing on upgrading my body. And uh, also doing some Vipassana, which is like a silent silent meditation retreat for probably 10 days. So I'm going to be kind of just going deep into my body, deep into consciousness and and getting, you know, getting the, hopefully the benefits of what that has to offer so I can write about it and, and talk about it in an educated way that can can give people a good uh, insight into things like that. But wherever there's wisdom, wherever there's truth all around the world, I want to go experience those things and, and write about them. That's awesome, man. Well, um, we'll be sharing your website and everything on the on the blog as well. So, thanks, cool. man, for um, taking the time and sharing with us your you know your your views and um, this journey that you're on. It sounds like it's a very in, it's a lifelong journey. It's very intense, and um, it's taking you some pretty cool, interesting places. I think. Yeah, what's well, it's so crazy to think that I've I mean all of this has happened in the span of eighteen months to. I mean, less than two years, you know what I mean? Everything that we've talked about pretty much. So especially that trip to South America, that was only two and a half months. And I felt like it was six months, at least eight months, 12 months of, of a life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so much experience fit into so little amount of time that my perception of time changed. Like it, because you're not in the same rhythm, you're not in the same rut or routine that you, I was doing before in Vegas, driving to the office, going to the gym, going home, same thing over and over. Right. And, and so at some point your brain just stops filing that away as relevant data because it's the same. So why would I remember it? So you have like long stretches of your life that you might not even remember well. And like doing this tri trip blew my mind. I was like, wow, like <laughs> you can slow time down. You can literally slow time down and, and get more out of life just by changing it up and getting out of your comfort zone, like making experiences, getting experiences that, you, you know, you'll remember. So, yeah, it's been an adventure, man. But uh, it sounds like you've been on one, too, like with, uh, you know, leaving the military and all that. Yeah, definitely, right? man. Lots of lots of change, Huge dude. Turnaround. Yeah. Huge turnaround. Yeah, it's cool to see. It's cool to see uh, people coming together and talking about their experiences because I feel like it's happening to a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot more common than um, I ever thought was uh, possible. And the more mm -hmm. people I talk to, the more I hear similar experiences from my, my own experiences coming out of their mouths, you know, like uh, a lot <laughs> of what you said is like yeah. almost uh, word for word for um, the experiences that I've had and the things that I've learned. 
um, my my journey has taken me for about 10 years now to get close to pretty much where you're at. So mine's a little bit slower paced, I'd say, than than yours. But it's well, it's, it's getting. I don't. It's, I don't yeah, it's the same place. I don't know if there's a yeah exactly, but I don't know if there's like a a, a set scale to measure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone's on it in, in in their own journey on their own path and so you can't use one person's metrics to necessarily measure your life um if that's why i think i mean if i could leave any advice for your listeners that i've like gleaned uh it's it's be mindful and like write. you know what i mean like even if you're not a writer even if you're not posting it like just putting the ideas on page on a page will a let you know It'll make you figure out what you think, right? Which is so important. But B, it'll it'll um, allow you to make changes because then you'll be able to actually articulate where you want to go next. And the problem with with people being stuck in this like stagnation or whatever in their life is, how do you make changes if you don't know what you want your life to look like? Like if I don't at least have the imagination and in place to like formulate an image of what life should be like for me in a year in six months, you know, then how can I get there? And, and, and it doesn't make sense. It's like you're, you're shooting for something that you're not even aiming at. And it doesn't make any sense not to have some sort of practice where you at least take some time introspectively. And, and I think meditation is, uh, there's a, there's a book. Um, are you familiar with Sam Harris? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he has a, a book that's called Waking Up he just came out with, and he has his Waking Up podcast and an app, a meditation app now called Waking Up, which is, is awesome. And he's just a really educated neuroscientist, you know, dude who's, who can talk about it in a smart way and in, in a Western way that makes, you know, make, makes my left brain feel good and logical. But at the same time, he's, he's gone to India and done, you know, two years of silent retreat. Hmm. Oh, you know, and, and and gone deep down the meditation rabbit hole. So and studied with all the gurus. So he's got a lot of good things to say. So that's a, a good resource if anyone wants to look into meditation more. But I think meditation and writing and getting out of your comfort zone, uh, it's that's that's one way right there to initiate a hero's journey because you're gonna you're gonna start to come across some things that are calling you to adventure for sure. Great man. Well, thanks for sharing with us about um, that idea and. And your information, man, it's been great spending the time with mm-hmm. you and uh, learning a lot about you. I, I didn't know much about you before the um, the interview, um, besides what you wrote on your podcast. And um, it's amazing how much uh, information that you provided and the commonalities that I have in my life experiences to your own. So thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been great being on here. I appreciate you having me. And uh, sounds like we still have lots to talk about if you oh, yeah. want to do it again. Definitely. Man. <laughs> This episode of Cosmic Echo was brought to you by our patron supporter, Shogun. If you enjoyed this episode of Cosmic Echo and would like to learn more about Christian and his work, you can visit our website at taleaders.com backslash podcast. Additionally, you can support this podcast by clicking on our donation page located at the same website. Or if you'd like to continue the discussion, you can do so by clicking on our community tab located at the same website. We look forward to bringing you additional episodes in the near future, but until then, happy dreaming.